welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today is Lottery Day. The 2023 NBA draft has come and gone. The draft lottery, that is. And we're here with the San Antonio Spurs getting to continue their long run of having elite-level, generational, big-man prospects with Victor Wembenyama. This is the team that drafted David Robinson. They tanked into drafting Tim Duncan. And then this season, the first season, by the way, that they really fell off and tanked, they end up getting Victor Wembenyama. Spins! What is your immediate reaction to the San Antonio Spurs getting the number one overall pick? And number two, let's just note, for the record, who the rest of the top four are. Sure. The Charlotte Hornets will get the number two overall pick. The Portland Trailblazers get number three. The Houston Rockets slide down a couple of spots to number four. And the Detroit Pistons, who had the worst record in the NBA this season, slide all the way out of the drawing and drop all the way down to number five. Spins, your thoughts on the San Antonio Spurs. Wow. What a night, Sam, for San Antonio and the San Antonio fans there. They have unbelievable luck at the top of drafts. And this entire time we've been talking about how Victor Wembanyama is going to change the course of whatever franchise gets the number one overall pick. But equally as important in this is making sure that Victor ends up in a franchise that is stable, secure, has a really good plan for him, is innovative in a lot of different ways because he's a unique prospect. And we were all rooting to see him go to a place that would just let Victor be Victor. And to me, that's the biggest gain that we have just as NBA fans is this is a a little bit of a blank slate of a team, if you will. There are a lot of ways that they can build a roster around Victor Wembenyama, but they have a track record of really developing guys to become elite level talents and rewarding those who are loyal, who do things the right way. I think this is an unbelievable situation for Vic to walk into. I think it's an awesome situation for Vic as well. He gets to go from Vincent Collet, who is the French national team coach that stepped in this year to coach Metropolitan's 92, the team that Victor Wembenyama plays for over in France. And he slides from Collet over to Greg Popovich, one of the best coaches in basketball history. It's a really strong developmental situation for Victor Wembanyama, and I couldn't be more excited for him uh, that he's going to get to enter that fray. Now, the roster is interesting, right? I think you and I both really like Jeremy Sohan, and I think yep. Sohan is actually a tremendous compliment to Victor Wembanyama because he's a switchable, smart, high IQ player. He has like a very European style in terms of the way he plays. In addition to being a longer, uh, versatile four man, I, I really like that fit. And then when Benyama's shot creation, I think will also allow Sohan to be able to come along a little bit more slowly as he completely rebuilds that jumper that has been a little bit broken over the years. The other yeah. exciting thing about the San Antonio Spurs is they have two starting caliber wings already that fit the age timeline for Wembenyama. I think that because Devin Vassell only played 38 games last year, people didn't really recognize the leap he took. He averaged 18 and a half points, 
actually seeing increases in both his three-point percentage and his overall field goal percentage last season. Uh, He is a solid defender that came into the league as a 3-and-D player, but has really developed his on-ball game. If I remember correctly, you were also, like me, a big fan of Devin Vassell in the 2020 draft, right? I had him number three on my board. I was a really big fan of Vassell. Yeah, and I think I had him at like eight or so, and I think they took him at, what, 13, 12, something like that. So I think we were higher than consensus on Vassell, and I think Vassell looks like one of the five or six best players in that draft class right now, especially if we're considering long-term. So the other piece they have is Keldon Johnson. People forget Keldon Johnson is only 23 years old. Uh, It feels like he's been around for a long time at this point. He actually averaged 22 points a game last year as well. He took on a big offensive assignment that was probably a little bit above what he's capable of doing, but filled it somewhat admirably. His shooting can be very inconsistent. His decision-making can be a little bit inconsistent from time to time. But overall, he is like definitely a starting caliber wing, and they have him on like a great contract moving forward that I think is like $16 million for the next three years, if I remember, maybe four years, if I remember correctly. So across the board, the two through five spots now are set, and Wembenyama's presence does a really nice job of sliding those other guys into roles that fit. Yep. Role allocation is really key in the NBA. Devin Vassell is not going to be a number one option, in my opinion. He's going to be a number two yep. or a number three, I think, on a great team. He'll average 20 points a game and he'll be useful defensively, kind of in like a Chris Middleton-y kind of way. Mm-hmm. You know, it, he needs to improve a little bit as a shot creator to get to that level. But I think he has that kind of upside to be an all-star like that. You know, Jeremy Sohan makes a lot more sense as your Swiss Army knife flying around and being like a winning player. He gets to do that now. Yeah. They need to find a point guard. They need to find a few things. But I really think that this is a situation that lines up perfectly Perfect. for Victor Wembanyama moving forward. Totally agree with that because they're surrounding him with look in two or three years, this is going to be an unbelievable defensive team, unbelievable defensive team because Victor provides such unreal rim protection, but he can also play at the level. He can switch some things late clock. If you need him to, they've got length around him. They've got really smart players like Sohan and Vassell, Keldon Johnson, who's that strong bully bowling ball. Like they can toy around with some of the on ball matchups in a playoff series to keep Victor as a helper in similar ways to what we're seeing the Lakers do right now with Anthony Davis. There are so many options that they can go for. I think they'll probably add or look to add another bigger body in presence so that there can be sometimes against different opponents. They want to play Victor with another bigger, bigger guy at times. They do need to add that long-term point guard spot, but that's an easy one to fill because if you are a guard, how would you not want to play with Victor Webinyama? throw the ball up to him in the pick and roll, be able to spot up on the perimeter while he's posting in the mid post area. Like this is the ideal lob throwing target. I think it's going to be very easy to attract guards to want to come to San Antonio. Now it's just how do they find enough floor spacing and shooting and make the timelines sync up so that they're getting the best version of this team to crank open a title window for five, six, seven, eight years, if not more. I think that's dead on. I think it's worth us 
I'm glad you brought up first and foremost, the idea of them signing a bigger body. I think that's definitely right because I think that you want to try and avoid as much wear and tear on Wembenyama as possible earlier in his career. Like if they have a game against Joel Embiid that night, or if they have a game against, you know, Yusuf Nurkic or someone like that, that's going to try and just like hit him and like bump him constantly. You don't want that. And I think it would make a lot of sense for them to go out and just sign a bigger body and sometimes play Wembenyama at the four. And then also sometimes play him at the five. Like I would imagine that a lot of the time Vic is going to close at the five. That's always been my vision for him. It's a very similar positional situation to Anthony Davis earlier in his career. Anthony Davis's best position has always been the five. I think that's where you get the most value out of his offensive game the best marginal value at the end of the day but you also don't want him taking these unnecessary hits all the time around the basket as a rebounder everything that goes with that so I really think that it makes a lot of sense for them to sometimes play him at the four sometimes play him at the five the Spurs are really smart organizationally they're in a really good position I think that they'll figure it out the other piece of this that is now interesting is how long do we think Greg Popovich is going to stick around for, right? I'm fascinated. Does this reinvigorate him? Does this make him decide that he wants to stay for four or five more years? He's someone that very clearly has a lot of interests outside of basketball. He's a very cultured, like intelligent human being. Does he want to do this forever? I don't know. I think that piece of it is really intriguing as well. And where they go in terms of hiring a future coach is also really intriguing, given how widespread the Popovich tree is. Yeah. And that last point is really important. I think there will be coaches who, whenever that decision is made, are lining up to come to San Antonio and be able to work with Victor Weminyama in this core, provided the Spurs can keep everybody around, prove that it's successful. He lives up to the the hype that we all believe he's going to, uh, et cetera. But what I'm really fascinated about with this fit, Greg Popovich is one of the most worldly coaches that we have in the NBA with yeah. the influences that allow him to integrate things that he finds over in Europe. He had a Tori Messina on his staff for a long period of time. Like He has been a lifelong learner of the game of basketball and one of the few NBA head coaches who is always looking across the pond to try to find inspiration. I think that that's only going to serve him well in relating to Victor Weminyama in finding ways to use him most successfully. And I think that this, you know, you mentioned with Sohan, a very European game, like this is going to be a very cultured type of team in a lot of different ways with what they bring to the table that only benefits Weminyama, but it's the perfect organization to bring that synergy for him. I think that's absolutely right. Let's go now to number two, the Charlotte Hornets. And I think that this is really the inflection point of the draft in a lot of ways, because I can see them going really one of two ways. I would be surprised if they took a men Thompson at number two. Not, I'm not going to rule it out like a hundred percent at this point, but it would be pretty surprising to me. It's going to be, I would think one of Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson, it's interesting. This front office has a very real split over the last few years in terms of what they do. It used to be that this Jordan 
team, this Jordan run team would select all of these like older prospects, uh, guys that like made, you know, all American teams, essentially your Frank Kaminsky, Cody Zeller, Kemba Walker, Miles Bridges, uh, PJ Washington, etc. Right. That tended to be more their MO, which would kind of pigeon them toward Brandon Miller a little bit more. Over the last few years, basically since they drafted LaMelo Ball, they've been more willing to go younger and been more willing to take projecty type of players, maybe is the fairest way to put it. You know, think of guys like LaMelo Ball, uh, Nick Richards, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think like Kai, JT Kai Thor, yep. Kai Jones, Bryce McGowan's, guys like that. This is a much bigger deal than taking those guys late in the first, early second, right? But I wonder what the push-pull in that front office is going to be like in terms of trying to decide between those two players. It's fascinating. Uh, I think it's very clear on paper the better fit next to LaMelo Ball is Brandon Miller. I, I think that it makes more sense from a spacing standpoint. It gives them more positional size in the way they want to play. It's so funny you say that because I disagree. So really? I, I want you to give your case. Yeah. All right. So I think LaMelo Ball is one of those guys who, if I were in charge of his organization, I'd be thinking, keep it simple, stupid. Put the ball in his hands, a lot of high pick and roll, try to get him on the move every now and then. Have a secondary creator for times when – Teams give him extra attention who can also run a high ball screen and honestly almost run an offense like Alabama did this year under Nate Oates direction where they had kind of five out great immaculate spacing, high ball screens and three man actions in the middle of the floor with a big at the trail spot and two handler creators in those slots. You put Brandon Miller and LaMelo Ball in those. You've got positional size. You've got a guy in Miller who's a 40% three point shooter spacing around LaMelo and you just let him cook more in ball screens and in transition. I think Miller's a really good rebound and run type of player. Doesn't really get talked about enough. He's a pretty good rebounder for a guy who's 6'9 yeah. and seen as pretty skinny. So I like the the thought of having those guys be able to, to do all of the things on offense that you want to do with LaMelo ball. But it's the defensive versatility for me that makes the most sense. That LaMelo probably needs – a little bit of the Kemba Walker treatment that he got in Boston in his later years, where you surround him with positional length two through four. You try to scram switch him out of the post if teams try to go at him in postseason situations. Just surround him with as much shooting and length as possible so that you can blanket him on defense. And I don't know if a Scoot Henderson LaMelo ball combination gives the Hornets a recipe to to hide LaMelo on defense. I'm not as worried about Scoot Henderson's yeah. ability to hold up long-term. It's LaMelo. And that pairing with the two of them can be pretty tough on D. So my counter to that would be, if you're worried in that way about LaMelo, in terms of his ability to hold up and everything, shouldn't you just be just taking Scoot. the dude, right? That's right, that's right where you think Scoot can be the dude. Because I think Scoot is a higher upside long-term than Brandon Miller. It's no disrespect to Brandon Miller. I think Scoot is one of the best guards I've ever evaluated, just point blank. And the reason that I actually really like Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson 
I think that their offensive styles really complement one another exceedingly well. LaMelo tends to be more of a threes and layups guy. He came up in that scheme that his father ran for many years with him and Lonzo and LiAngelo. And he doesn't really have much of an in-between game. It's more he's going to try and step back to get to the three. He's going to try and run out on the break and create uh, outlet passes, create fast break opportunities, right? Or he's going to try and get to the rim and finish because he's six foot eight now and he has that that capability, right? Scoot actually really profiles well with that. Scoot loves to be able to get to the basket, certainly, but he thrives in the mid-range. So you're going to have LaMelo Ball who can space it out to like 27 feet, which like to a point where you really need to guard him, especially as he continues to grow and mature and get stronger. I think you actually are really going to have to guard him out there. That's going to create more space for Scoot as like a second side creator trying to get to the mid-range. I think that Scoot is a primary creator is going to create a lot of opportunities for LaMelo is like this bigger, you know, potentially cutter, potentially high level intelligent mover. He doesn't move without the ball. I'm aware of this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he has potential to do it. He yeah. does not do it. It's like a Trey Young situation where Trey yeah. tends to like float around the perimeter a lot. Um, has potential to do it. That would be my biggest worry here is that LaMelo would float a little bit more if he's off the ball with Scoot. Yeah. But LaMelo can really shoot. So even that has a little bit of gravity, I think, as well for Scoot getting into that mid-range area. Additionally, Scoot. Great passer. I really like him as a passer. More geared towards scoring. Let's, you know, not unfair to say that, right? I think he's actually like a really underrated high level passer, but he is a little bit more geared toward that. LaMelo is a little bit more geared toward passing and playmaking, which I think really opens up a nice synergy between the two of them long-term. The last thing I will note is, if you think LaMelo might not be the guy just in terms of like, you know, he might not compete all the time. Like his help defense might be a bit of a, you know, shambles from time to time. He might not move off the ball all the time. Incredibly creative, intelligent, high level guard who is immensely talented, but like might not do all the other stuff. Scoot does all that stuff. Like Scoot is competitive as hell. He really wants it. He's aggressive. Like, he's a different dude than LaMelo, like in the way that I think you want to pair someone with LaMelo. So I think that fit really is like exactly what LaMelo kind of needs in like a secondary ball handler next to him or, or a primary that, you know, you shift back and forth between. Yeah. It, it comes down to me if that's something that LaMelo would want. And, and it's, it's really hard for me to see guys who come in as young players and get a ton of these on ball reps trying to develop and thinking they're the future of the franchise have to share that in a fairly equal split, if not tipping the scales in the other direction, because Scoot, as you and I both believe is a really damn good ball handler deserves to have the ball in his hands a bunch. So this has potential. If you pair the two of them to be explosively good, Unreal team in transition with Scoot and LaMelo ball pushing. I think LaMelo gets easier shots as a result of Scoot's presence. I think that there's a lot of ways that they can make each other better on that end of the floor. But you would also have to be a little bit weary of of bothering the star that you have to try to bring in a second one. And you gotta you gotta be concerned about what this looks like on the defensive end of the floor with those two because you are committing now to being 
smaller with Scoot and a little more porous at the point of attack with your secondary guy there in LaMelo. So I agree with you. Scoot is the better player. I think there is a way to justify the fit. I think it's a little cleaner of a fit with Brandon Miller. And that's what makes this a really intriguing process here for Charlotte to to undertake it, depending on how the ping pong balls bounced. Maybe this wasn't necessarily going to be a huge discussion at number two, because there was positional fit that some teams maybe needed. This one's really tricky, really, really tricky. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, let's go to Portland. Portland's in a really interesting organizational situation because Damian Lillard is obviously a great player who I think is coming off of arguably his best statistical season. And I think that he is someone that can really grow and mature with like a lot of these guys in the potential top five here that they could take at number three. They also have kind of a two timelines thing going a little bit right now where they took Shaden Sharp last year as a little bit of a project who had like an immense 
unbelievable finish to the season uh, over the course of his last 15 games or so. If Anthony Simons, who is still quite young, 23 years old, he's kind of the midpoint of this timeline. But then they also have Damian Lillard, and then they have the free agency situation with Jeremy Grant. You could take this a lot of different ways. You could see Scoot Henderson as a really great athletic complement to Shaden Sharp. And then you could potentially look to move off of Damian Lillard. Or you could look at it as we could get Brandon Miller and continue to build around Dame, have Shaden Sharp as an upside player moving forward, Anthony Simons, we re-sign Jeremy Grant, we try and find an answer at center, maybe we trade for DeAndre Ayton, and then we're kind of cooking with gas a little bit. With Damian Lillard, like, maybe pushing us to compete, but I don't know realistically how much of a competitor that team is unless Brandon Miller, like, really is like a 22-point-per-game scorer by the time he's in year three. Yeah. Yeah, the, the oh man, another tough situation here for Portland, right? Because the avenues for them to become a legitimate title contender – they never really hinged on any pick other than Vic, right? As soon as they ended up not getting the number one overall selection, there's more work to be done than just drafting a guy at number two or number three or trading that pick for somebody that can come in and help you right away. Like there's still other things that they need to clean up of making guys fit together better on court for success in the modern NBA. The shade and sharp timeline throws a huge wrench in a lot of this. He's way too valuable of a piece long-term for them to sell on unless they're getting a bona fide superstar that absolutely vaults them into the title picture. But I don't know if those guys are out there this year. And it's just going to be a really fascinating time to watch what this front office does, particularly if Brandon Miller gets taken second overall, because it's almost a binary A or B when Scoot Henderson is still on the clock. And, and I don't know where you come down on what you would prefer of draft Scoot and try to move on from Dame, start the new regime, or use that leverage of Scoot available at number three to try to trade and get as much as you can to win with Dame now. Where do you come down on that one? I think they should be – look, me personally, I think they should be moving Damian Lillard and restarting new – the reason for that is I don't know if they have quite enough time to rebuild this roster in the necessary window of Damian Lillard's prime is what he has left, right? Yeah. So he turns 33 in the offseason. And again, Damian Lillard is coming off of one of his best seasons. He is unequivocally one of the best workers in the NBA, and he is one of the – uh, guys that like I genuinely want to see win more than anybody else in the NBA. I think that this is their opportunity to probably restart a little bit. Yeah. And I would take it, especially with a new front office. Like, I, I think this is a great opportunity for an off ramp here. If you're the Blazers. And I think there's like a real shot that you can, build for the future without continuing to kind of stay in the middle like this. This team's been stuck in the middle for a little bit too long. Now it feels like basically since they made the conference finals, uh, what was that three or four years ago now? Four years ago. uh, Something like that. 19. Yeah. Yeah. Three or three or four years ago, whatever it was. 
So if I was them, I would just take the player. Now, in terms of what I wonder, and I, I would expect that they explore every single potential avenue for this pick, yeah. right? What kind of star player can you get for the number three overall pick? Like, let's say that Chicago, or let's say Charlotte takes uh, Brandon Miller at number two, right? What happens if Scoot Henderson is on the board at number three? Does Orlando offer you something crazy in order to get like their point guard of the future? Do they offer like number six, number 11 and like Wendell Carter or something like that? Because they see Scoot as like the guy that they need in order to make Paulo Bancaro, Franz Wagner, like really make sense long-term. Do they like, you know, does, I'm trying to think of like other examples, right? I'm sure there are other examples out there that you could potentially find. Like, you know, do, uh, do the Nets offer Mikhail Bridges yeah. Yeah. and 21 and 22 and something else for number three? You know, then you have Damian Lillard. Shaden Sharp, Anthony Simons, Mikhail Bridges, Jeremy Grant. You still need to answer. Maybe it's Mikhail Bridges, Nick Claxton, 22 and 21 for number three. I wouldn't do that if I was Portland. I'm just kind of wondering if that is like a, a thing that that front office could consider if they want to go down the road of continuing to compete yeah. with Damian Lillard. I don't know. I don't know either, Sam. And I'm not the cap tradeologist with all of the formulas in my head and the the matching salaries and who's going to be a free agent this year. It's It just seems like it's an underwhelming time to try to be buying a star because the teams who are most in the market for it and competing right now either don't have a ton of future pick capital or don't necessarily have a positional fit for a guy like Damian Lillard. It's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. No, I think that's exactly right. I am very fascinated to see where the Lillard situation goes. I I just don't, I I don't know what Portland's trajectory is right now. They have this newer front office that made a lot of future facing moves at the deadline, but was that goal in order to rebuild longer term or was it to retool around Lillard this off season? Do do you think there's any way they try to move Simons? Maybe possibly. Uh, Let's say Scoot ends up being available at number three and they take Scoot and Dame. Do they try to move Simons and try to get back a bigger body in return? I don't. So, so like, you know, a name that could come up there is like OG Ananobi, right? Like sure. the Raptors really need backcourt depth if Fred Van Vliet and uh, Gary Trent leave. You could see Anthony Simons is like an interesting fit there. Anthony Simons and number three for Ananobi is not a good deal. I don't no. think that Portland can do that. You know, it could Anthony Simons and 23 for Ananobi be interesting. I probably don't do that if I'm Toronto. Yeah. Maybe there's a middle ground somewhere there. 
uh, if you decide to continue building around Dame, though, like that's the thing. Uh, they have to make a call. Like this, this pick being at number two now, or number three, right. I'm sorry, forces them to make the call on Lillard now, I think. Because it's an incredibly valuable asset that they could either trade for current value or they could use to select future value. And if you select future value, or if Scoot Henderson is on the board, you probably do then look to move Dame. I don't know how that's going to go. That's a fascinating predicament for Portland. I I think they are, to me, the team I'm most interested in, in the top three. Like the Spurs are going to take Vic. We know that. Yeah. You know, Charlotte is interesting, but they're not, they don't have as many moving pieces as Portland does. Portland is the most interesting team. By the way, this Portland front office, I will note, they have a real tendency to draft young. We talked yes. about like yep. Charlotte being, you know, previously a bit of an older drafting team, more recently a bit of a younger drafting team. Portland, you know, since Joe Cronin has been an assistant GM there, has been a young drafting team. They prefer to go with guys like, uh, you know, Zach Collins, Anthony Simons, Jabari Walker. Uh, uh, who else? I listed them all in the, Shaden the, Sharp. in the mock I did. Shaden Sharp certainly fits. Uh, Greg Brown, Nasir Little. Yeah. All of these guys were teenagers when they took them within the last few years. They have that real tendency to draft younger. I would think that like Brandon Miller, Amen Thompson, those guys wouldn't be too old for them necessarily. But it's worth noting that that is a reality of what they tend to do on the draft. Yeah. And look, I think at the very top, top four, five, six picks, you tend to try to go for just the best players that you can get, right? It's less about age or things like that. You just want to make sure you're hitting on, on the most superstar upside or superstar type of player that you can. I'm just trying to sit here and envision what a split timeline would look like where they keep the number three pick and Damian Lillard. And if it's Brandon Miller, I don't see a way in which this is a good enough team to be top four or five in the West next year. I don't know if I see an avenue for that. I tend to agree. Um, And if it's Scoot, they probably have to trade Simons. And I don't know if they would get a lot back for Simons that vaults them into that territory either. It's interesting. Like Simons for OG, Simons plus for OG is an interesting construction to me. There has to be a middle ground there in some way. Uh, if they decide to go that route. But I don't know if they will. Okay, number four, uh, the Houston Rockets. They dropped two spots. I actually think this works out okay for them. This is good. This is good. Like, I would prefer Scoot Henderson for them, like, for sure, right? Mm -hmm. I wonder if they look to potentially try and package, like, a couple of their really young, interesting players – to move up to number two. That's like a real thing that you could look to do. I don't know. <laughs> I might just take a Men Thompson and pair right. him with Jalen Green, have the most athletic backcourt in the NBA, have a backcourt that certainly has the most. If both of those guys hit, that is the best backcourt in the NBA. Straight up. 
If both of those guys reach their ceilings, Jalen Green as a shot maker, Amen Thompson as a defensive playmaker who is an elite transition idea or playmaker who is uh, an incredible rim pressure threat who can also really make high-level passing reads. If both of those guys hit, that is the best backcourt in the NBA. Yep. That's scary. That's a really scary thought. And then you pair that Jabari Smith as a floor spacing front court guy. It's the yep. perfect way to utilize him. Like now all of a sudden the pieces in Houston are starting to come together. Still a little bit funky with like the Shengun low post, high post touches and the, you know, infinite pivots and spin moves that he wants to yeah. do. You love the idea of having a Men Thompson as a cutter off of a lot of those actions. Jalen Green's yeah. athleticism as a cutter off of some of those actions. I think that a man has the defensive juice at the point of attack to help maybe mitigate some of the concerns you have with Shen Goon. Like I've long thought of the the guys outside of Scoot and Vic. Like a man infinitely makes the most sense in Houston to me because he gets to be a little bit more of the playmaker and the high field guy. But this is this is where they can really start to lean into the identity. They've been collecting a lot of players and taking best available, best available. Now the fit would start to work with the men here. It's athleticism in the backcourt, floor spacing and IQ in the front court, and just add enough of those toolsy wings, the Tari Eason's, the KJ Martins of the world in at those wing spots to just kind of muck it up and be super athletic too. So I totally agree with all of that. And I'm like really interested in this roster. What I will say though is they would have a lot of non-shooters on the roster. They would. And yeah. I, I, while I am very intrigued by Shengun playing that high post short roll game, I'm also a little bit worried about playing him with like a non-shooting point guard, like a man long-term. Yep. Th- that could create playoff problems, but also like it's kind of champagne problems on some <laughs> level. Right. Uh you kind of just let that roll in my opinion and you see where the roster goes. But the thing is like, they have a crazy amount of cap space this summer too, to be able to add shooting potentially. Like here's like one that I've kind of been like throwing around in my head a little bit. Let's say you draft a men Thompson. You have Jalen green, you have Jabari Smith. Is there a world where like a miles Turner, Alperin Shengun trade construction is interesting in order to get the defensive infrastructure that Houston really needs long-term. Turner is on like a sweetheart contract, yeah. uh, like $20 million next year, $19 million the year after you get the floor spacing that Amen Thompson needs and that Jalen Green needs. I think a really underrated thing that happened last year was Jalen Green really improved as like a driver, a foul drawer. He played a little bit more patiently, I thought, on his drives. I wonder if there's something there that is like a little bit interesting too. Uh, if you don't buy the Thompson Shengun fit because of the lack of spacing when, Oh, by the way, you also have like Tari Eason as well to fit into the mix here. Yeah. So I, I think first things first, if you get a Thompson or Scoot Henderson somehow in this draft, 
they are infinitely more valuable than what Alper and Shengun already adds to this team. So if you have to sacrifice one piece to make it fit, Shengun is the guy you shop. And it's not just because a man is better. It's because I think the center position is eminently more replaceable in terms yeah. of finding what Houston would need as well. So Miles Turner, the ideal fit for somebody like this. Uh, rim protector, solid interior defender, a little bit of scheme versatility, but can finish at the basket and play a little bit more on the perimeter to provide that spacing if they want yeah. to lean into a men and slashing Tari Eason. So I get it in in theory. I don't know why why Indiana would want that, though. Yeah, like someone said, Tari Eason. Tari Eason's like interesting as a centerpiece in a is one of the centerpieces in a Turner trade. But again, like if, if I'm Indy, I'm not moving Turner unless I'm getting like a higher upside player. Uh, and I think Shangun genuinely has a lot of upside. Is why I say that. I, I just mm-hmm. am intrigued by where the fit goes now. The other options here, I would take a Men Thompson if a Men Thompson is mm-hmm. there for Houston. If Scoot Henderson by some miracle falls, sure, by all yeah. means. But if a should we be considering like Cam Whitmore? Should we be considering Asar Thompson? Uh, should we be considering Taylor Hendricks? Like somebody like that over Thompson here? Not for me. Um, you know, I have a man number three on my board. I actually have him ahead of Brandon Miller at the moment. I, I really believe in the combination of quick twitch athleticism and passing ability. Yeah. Uh, I would I would want to commit to putting the ball in his hands somewhere. And as good as Jalen Green is as a scorer, I think pairing him with a great decision maker in the backcourt like a man kind of gets the best out of both of them. So if I'm Houston, to me, it's it kind of stops and starts there. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm taking a man Thompson if I'm Houston in that circumstance. Uh, is there a, now maybe this is where we get into trades. So I've seen a couple of ideas here. Is there I'm trying to find comments. I'll find them as I bring this question up. Is there a world where you think Houston can get from four to two in order to take their favorite of Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson? I think there's a world. I'm again I'm not the capologist guru guy who knows exactly what it takes to kind of move up two spots when there's this large of a perceived difference because everybody knows why you're moving up if you're trying to do so. It's for Scoot. So yeah. I don't know what leverage that do- that takes away from Houston in trying to negotiate that trade. I would assume it would be at least another future first round pick, if not multiple, and something of kind of value on their roster already. I think that's right. I've seen a couple of kind of questions here where, you know, like could, could Houston – I think I saw like Tari Eason in four for two. I don't think that's enough to get up to number no. two. Uh, I think I saw, you know, future first and four for two would depend on the first, I think, in like a real way. And the protections on the first, like Houston is still probably going to be bad next year unless they like go all out and add, you know, a number of players in free agency. By the way, another piece of this for Houston is the incessant James Harden rumors that continue to engulf this franchise. So let's say that James Harden tells you before the draft he wants to come to Houston. And he's not using Houston for leverage because Houston has an immense amount of cap space. And it's the easiest way for him to get leverage from Philadelphia. I think that's a pretty real real thing here. 
potentially. Um, does that change your thought process on Thompson? And does it potentially make you go, okay, maybe let's go Cam Whitmore, pair him with Jabari Smith, an excellent floor spacer who doesn't pressure the rim on the wing. Cam's an incredible rim pressure threat who can also be like a creative offensive force. Does that change your calculus at all? Because these two decisions will be like made with one another. Yeah. I, we talked about this on the last episode, Sam, like I don't, I still am failing to see from a timeline perspective, what the Houston Rockets really get from bringing in James Harden. And as a result, it just leaves me to say, you don't draft differently. You, you take the best player that fits with your young core long-term and you hope that Harden's presence in the interim can augment that if you decide to, to still sign him, that you can play Harden, Green, and Thompson together because a man is tall enough to be able to guard some threes. Like, I just I don't want to let a reunion tour and getting the band back together with James Harden and H-Town get in the way of finding the perfect complement to Jalen Green long-term. And maybe this is me just being a huge Amen Thompson optimist but I think he's that right guy if he's there for. I really do. I do too. Aiden Dowdy asks, you know, Shangoon in Portland could be cool. Is there, like, let's say Houston has a tear break on Scoot and Brandon Miller and then a man in the next tier, right? I, I don't know if they do or not. I'm not, this is not me reporting that they do. I don't know if they do. But let's say that they do. Would you be willing to move Shangoon to move up one spot in order to get a player that you have in a different tier of prospect? You and I, I think, don't have that we don't. necessarily. Yeah. But philosophically, I think is an interesting way to put this. Would you move Shangoon to move into a different tier of prospect? Yes. Okay. If, if it's Scoot Henderson's available at three and Portland is saying, hey, we'll move back a spot and we'll flip with you if you give us Shengun, I'd probably do it. Yeah. I probably, me personally, I would not do that. Uh, if I had a tear break on Scoot and Brandon Miller and Amen Thompson, I would do that. I agree with you philosophically, but I personally do not. And thus I would not make right. that trade and I would just stay at four. Spencer Morris says, I think this is kind of succinct, to be honest, in terms of where both you and I are on the Harden in Houston thing. The upside yeah. to Harden in Houston was putting a real playmaker next to Jalen Green rather than Kevin Porter Jr. But now that they can't get Vic, it doesn't make sense. Just develop a man at point guard. Very, very, very strong agree. I think that that is what Houston should do. I and then use all of their cap space on like wings and, and like maybe find a defensive center or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Find different trade avenues using your cap space. I, yeah. I think there are a few different things. Well, and it's worth noting with Houston, they also have pick number 20 in this draft. And if there's some maneuverability and change in some things around, they've got another asset a little bit later to utilize, not necessarily in trading up from four to three or from four to two. I don't know if 20 gets them too much in that regard. But if they take a men Thompson and they say, okay, maybe it's time to depart from Alper and Shengun, and what can Shengun in 20 really get us in terms of really good young assets that fit with this team? 
Or what do Kevin Porter Jr. in 20 get us now that we've got Amen Thompson in the fold? So like there could be some other movement from Houston outside of this pick, but it all starts with nailing who they end up with at number four. And I think that Scoot Henderson or Amen Thompson are really fascinating fits there. The way that the first three picks kind of fell here, unless Portland makes a trade with that pick and someone comes in and scoops up Amen Thompson at number three, then I, I have a really hard time seeing Amen being off the board when Houston's on the clock. It lines up pretty well for them. Yeah, I, I think I agree that this just lines up well for Houston to take Amen Thompson. Uh, I did ask for fake trades potentially <laughs> here in the comments. Uh, I've gotten a lot about Detroit, right? So Detroit falls from having the worst record in the league all the way down to number five. Uh, B in the YouTube comments asks, Detroit's 2025 top four protected first and 18 to 30. I'm thinking that's like protected. So it's basically a, you know, it'd be somewhere between five and 17 for number and number five for number three, essentially, or Detroit's 2029 unprotected first and five for number three. I, I would probably consider a Portland personally. I would probably consider a Portland and Detroit move where I'm getting extra assets if I'm Portland and I'm sliding down, but it's because the more that I watch Cam Whitmore versus Brandon Miller, the closer I think that they are uh, is prospects. And I really like Cam Whitmore. So I'm willing to take that bet personally I have Whitmore at five. I have Brandon at three. I think that they're in the same tier. They're very different in terms of upside and in terms of like their prospect profile. Brandon's a little bit safer. I think Whitmore's upside just athletically is insane. I at least consider this if I'm Portland. I don't know that Portland would unless they then want to turn around and use that extra asset. Yep to then potentially find another, you know, veteran that they can pair with Damian Lillard. It, it's just Portland being at three is right on the precipice. If they fell any lower than that, I don't think that they can view the selection they have as a definite like franchise altering future star to build around. I just don't see any way that they do that. So it, it's, yeah, I don't know. It, we, are we just can we pivot and talk about Detroit here? Yeah, let's talk about Detroit a little bit. All I've heard for the last month or so, maybe even more, is about how Jaden Ivey and Cade Cunningham, as good of a fit as we theorize that they will be once they're both healthy and playing together, was going to cause a lot of positional problems if the Pistons were on the clock and Scoot Henderson were available or if the best player in a certain tier were Amen Thompson. It certainly seems like we've avoided that scenario in Detroit. Yeah. I mean, look, they wanted number one, but everyone you know, wanted but, number one. Yeah. Yeah. So, but no, what they would have, they would have just taken Brandon Miller at number two, I think, if that was the scenario. Right. And now that they've fallen this far, Miller is seemingly slipped through their grasp. Five becomes a really fascinating pick for Detroit. Really, really fascinating pick. And I don't know 
if this is where we start to have conversations about long-term upside versus fit, because what happens if, you know, what happens if this is Jairus Walker, Taylor Hendricks in Detroit and Cam Whitmore falls even further? Yeah, no, I I think plausible. Yeah, no, I think that those guys are definitely on the board here for Detroit. This is where the draft like really opens up in my, and really, I think it opens up at four a little bit, but I think that a man just makes a lot of sense for Houston. At number five, I think there are a lot of names on the board, if only because Troy Weaver is kind of a wild card in this respect, right? Uh, You could be looking at someone like Jairus Walker. You could be looking at somebody like Cam Whitmore. I currently have Cam Whitmore mocked there. Uh, but I think I'm a little bit higher on Whitmore than some people are. You could look at Taylor Hendricks. I think that is definitely a name that is viable there. I don't think Anthony Black is really viable there. I don't think Kaysom Wallace really yeah. works there necessarily. But Asar Thompson potentially could. Like that's a definite name for them there, I think. Uh, very similar physical profile to Brandon Miller. Came in at you know six foot seven almost without shoes and seven foot wingspan yesterday uh, during the combine. So I think a sore is interesting here. I think Whitmore is interesting here. I think Jairus is interesting here. And I think Hendricks is interesting here. So what do trade down possibilities look like for Detroit at five? Because they fall just on the outside of that top four cusp. And if they don't see anybody in this tier or they're saying, you know what? I don't know who the, the clear cut star is for us. If somebody else does, let's say, I, I don't know who, let's say Washington wants to jump the line a little bit and end up with Anthony Black or Sore Thompson and make sure that they get another playmaker. What does that look like for Detroit? Are there viable options for them to move down and what do they ask for? <laughs> well, moving down is always one of those things where there is just, there are so many more possibilities than moving up, right? Because I feel like when you're moving up in some respect, you're doing like a specific thing. When you're moving down, you're trying to get value from like maybe specific places. I'm sure they want another young guy to pair with like Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, et cetera, right? So you don't want to move too far down, which kind of limits you, I would imagine in your mind to – you know, Orlando at number six and number 11, Dallas at number 10, Utah at number nine, Washington at number eight, and then like Indiana at seven, right? In terms of stuff to get, I think Detroit wants to be better next year. So like, I think they would want maybe younger, like rostered players, right? I mean, like, Orlando is somewhat interesting in that respect, just because they do have a rather large roster glut. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not totally sure on that, to be honest. Yeah. Indiana's interesting, but like Indiana doesn't have, they're still like really growing out their young core. Like yeah. you're not moving, you know, certainly not Halliburton, certainly not Ben Matherin to move up two spots. Uh you know, Dallas, I think, is potentially looking at moving. I think Dallas is more likely to move that pick to move out yeah. as opposed to yeah. move up. 
you could make a case for Utah, who has a number of picks in this class. If they just like really love someone like Whitmore, Asar Thompson, that they think won't get there, maybe they try to consolidate those picks and move up with Detroit and give them like a younger roster player. Yeah, I don't know. That's plausible. Uh, but it, as tough as it was for Detroit to fall out of the top four, where we think that there's this clear talent divide or kind of cusp from there to the rest of the class, and you might be higher on Cam Whitmore and think it's a little closer. Sure, there's always going to be exceptions for some of that. But yeah, if if they feel like that's a tough spot talent-wise to be drafting in, and it's not clear-cut who someone else would try to move up for, like that's a tough spot to be in if you are Detroit. Yeah, like Ron Burgundy 79 asks, like Indiana has 726, 29, 32, and 55. They're not making all of those picks. Could they try to move up from seven, try to move back up to late lottery, move those late vet picks for a vet? You know, tw- two picks in the late first. I did the stats on this whenever uh, Houston and the Clippers made that Eric Gordon deal historically 26 and 29 have been able to get you up into like the 21, 22 range. Like it has not been a big leap. So I don't see seven, 26 and 29 getting you to five. I think you just take the best player that you have highest on your board that you've evaluated best because at the end of the day there, that's going to move the needle for you more. And, and I think Indiana's in a good spot at, at seven because, you know, top four, the guys that we've already mentioned, like picking there, they're probably going to get one of the bigger bodies and athletes that they need of Cam Whitmore, Jairus Walker, Taylor Hendricks. Like one of those guys will be available at seven. I think Indiana's in a solid spot where they don't have to consolidate to move up to five. I agree. They're not going to make five selections. They'll have some international draft and stash. They'll consolidate. They'll trade out of the draft for a future year. They'll do something different, but I don't know if it's to move up from seven to five. I think they're okay at seven. Yeah, no, I think that's right. So yeah, no, I I think Detroit's in just this very funky spot where if I'm just them, I'm ecstatic that Cam Whitmore is there. (laughs) Like I love, I think Cam's awesome. I think his upside's super high. I think he fits perfectly with Jade Nivey and Cade Cunningham. Like, the thing that we're most worried about with Cam Whitmore is like how he processes the game and his feel, yep. right? Uh, historically low assist rate for a guy that is, you know, as high usage as he was. But like, he's the perfect complement for those two. He's a running mate for Jaden Ivey. He's like an explosive baseline cutter and scorer for Cade Cunningham to play off of. Uh, he has the athleticism that Cade like doesn't always bring. But those other two guys that, can play a genuine point guard, bring the passing and decision-making that Cam will need to develop and work into because it's his biggest improvement area. I think that just makes a world of sense to me, I guess. Uh, I I don't love Jairus Walker here for them, if only because I am a little bit more on the side of he might be closer to a big than like a wing. And if I'm them and I have... Jalen Duran, James Wiseman, Marvin Bagley, um, Isaiah Stewart. I probably want to try and avoid like the potential that I take a guy that's a big. I would rather just like have a wing, and I would just take Cam. I think I'm with you there. Um, 
you know, I, I like Jairus Walker quite a bit as a as a prospect, as a defender, and a, a versatile guy to play at the four and maybe the small ball five. But to me, there's I don't call it redundancy, but the best version of Jairus is probably playing that small ball five late game. And it seems like the Pistons are investing a lot in Jalen Duran for the future and really mm-hmm. envisioning him to be a guy who's on the floor in those late game situations, which probably leads me to think Whitmore would be a better fit with this roster long-term than Jairus. I think that's right. Okay. Anything else you want to do before we do a very quick mock draft? Anything else I want to do here? Well, we've talked about a bunch of trade possibilities for all these different teams. Uh, The Damian Lillard stuff is incredibly, incredibly fascinating. I guess for me, Sam, the one question I have is of the lottery teams who we haven't discussed, who aren't picking in that top five, who do you think is most likely to or has the best collection of assets to try to move up into this top five? Oh, it's Utah or Oklahoma Utah. City, I'm sure. Uh, one of those two, like they could move to four or five pretty easily if they wanted to like really pony up. I don't know if I'd do it necessarily. Uh, you know, like Oklahoma City has a lot of really interesting players. They're looking – for in my opinion, for Oklahoma City, I'm looking more for like a big four man kind mm-hmm. of that can play next to Chet, can take on some you know tougher assignments potentially. I would probably like so. Okay, you're Oklahoma City. You're moving up to four. You know, Amen Thompson is there. You already have Josh Giddy, right? Who's like a non-shooting guard, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Cam Whitmore's there. Cam makes sense. For them in some respect, like you, you can make a case for that if they love him for some reason. You know, a star Thompson is there, a non-shooter. I think they want shooters moving forward because of Giddy. And because Shea is like, he improved drastically as a shooter this year. It's still not his first option necessarily yeah. is to shoot. Yeah. Uh, if I'm them, I'm probably comfortable. Maybe Utah. Utah does not have like a true centerpiece of their rebuild yet. You know, Lowry Markinum was great this year, but he has, I think, two years left on his deal on a contract that is actually going to be a little bit difficult now to extend moving forward, even with the upgraded extension rules that allow you to pay 140% of the final year of that deal. I don't know. Uh, maybe you could convince me on Utah, but I think they're the ones that like would make the most sense. Uh and I don't even know if it makes total sense for them. I will say Orlando having six and 11 is a little bit interesting yeah. to me. Yeah. If a team like just wants those double assets to take two shots at it, could, could let's say Scoot falls to three, could Orlando, we kind of talked about this earlier, could Orlando do something like six, 11 and Wendell Carter to get Scoot? They could. I don't know. And then you you swap, you know, Yusuf Nurkic and Wendell Carter or something like that. And then they like just figure out what to do with Yusuf Nurkic. Hmm. I like it for Orlando, I think. I don't know how I feel about it for Portland. I don't know. Yeah, like the idea if you're Portland would be like maybe we trade that lottery pick. We get a lottery pick and then we trade one in order to get a vet and we are able to continue like the two timelines thing. 
I would not do this. I wouldn't either. Yeah. I'm just throw. I'm just saying, like there are a lot of different avenues on the table for Portland, and I think they're the most interesting one. Um, the other team we should mention is Dallas. Dallas keeps this pick, obviously, which is incredibly important for them. Uh, they're going to pick number ten. I would. Am- so there are two thoughts here with Dallas. They could move this pick because they want vets, and this is a very valuable pick. And I would think that could be more likely at this point. I'm just guessing on that. But with the new collective bargaining agreement, it helps you to have rookie scale players if you're trying to contend. So this could be your last real shot at getting like a valuable rookie scale player to put next to Luca and Kyrie. Maybe you could convince me that that works. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of options on the table for Dallas. No doubt about it. It's just, it, they need more of a wing or front court defender and they are going to be waiting with bated breath to see if one of Taylor Hendricks or Jairus Walker falls all the way down to 10, because if they, yeah. if they do, I think it's a very easy choice for Dallas. You take one of those guys, you keep the pick, you have that young, cheap rotational player that you can have who adds value next to the core. If they're both gone, now things start to get dicey. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's do mock. Let's take a quick break, though, so I can tweet out the <laughs> mock link. Okay. Let's go. The number one overall pick. Quick little mock draft here. Uh, Diving deep into the 2023 NBA draft lottery. Immediately following its conclusion. Also, by the way, uh, Dominic Flame just said in the YouTube comments that Jokic has 19, 16, and 7 at half. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck, man? <laughs> oh, my God. They have 70. I kind of figured this was like a dead zone spot for the Lakers because they're coming off that series and they're playing at altitude. But my fucking goodness, Jokic. Jesus Christ. Is that good? Uh, okay. Sir? Yeah, is, is 19, 16, 7 at half good? Okay. Mock draft time. Immediately following the 2023 NBA draft lottery, Adam and I are going to dive deep. We're going to do a quick mock draft. We're going to go through 14. Probably not farther than that. Okay. Number one, Adam, you go first. I'll go second. I'll give you the easy one. Victor Wembenyama. Okay. Uh, Explain very briefly why you're taking Victor Wembenyama for the Spurs beyond the obvious. Yeah. A generational type of player and talent and not just in terms of what he does as a number one option on offense, because I think he can evolve into that for an organization that so desperately needs it. But he is quite literally one of, if not the best defensive prospects that I've ever scouted, just changes the geometry of the court with his size, his length, his fluidity, unbelievable shot blocker. Uh, I have a lot of confidence in him continuing to add to his skill base on offense. I believe the Spurs are an organization that will handle him with care both in terms of how they manage his body 
and in what they surround him with skill and talent wise to make sure he's put in the best positions to succeed. It is a home run for both parties. Let's never overthink this thing. Celebrate in the streets of San Antonio and move on. Okay. Number two, the Charlotte Hornets. I'm going to take Scoot Henderson. I think that the fit between Scoot Henderson and LaMelo Ball is absolutely tremendous. I think LaMelo's three and layups offensive strategy plays really, really well with Scoot Henderson in the mid-range where he loves to kind of – people said it was settling. I think that he just continues to develop that piece of his game uh, at a really, really high level. I think that his mid-range jump shot is maybe the most underrated part of his game outside of the passing, which I also think is really underrated. He's a sharp decision maker. I think he is an elite creative force in today's NBA. Uh, He's a little bit more geared toward the scoring side. LaMelo can be a little bit more geared toward the playmaking side. I know that that would be more of a two-point guard alignment, but Steve Clifford actually did a really good job late in the season. Do you know where Charlotte finished from February 14th onward uh, in defensive rating? They probably were top 10, weren't they? They were sixth. They had the sixth, sixth yeah. best yeah. defensive rating. It's pretty wild. So I'm going to go Scoot Henderson. I think that Steve Clifford can figure it out on defense. Yeah. Okay. Shout, shout out Nick Richards. Shout out Nick Richards. Number three. Number three. Ooh, tough spot here. Portland Trailblazers on the clock. Uh, I am going to take Brandon Miller here. Um, and the biggest reason why is I think that if I'm trying to have him fit next to Damian Lillard and I got to keep this pick, he is a much better fit than anybody else that's still on the board. If I'm looking to trade this pick to build a championship team around Damian Lillard, then Brandon Miller probably has the most perceived value at pick number three outside of the organization who we can get some different pieces for that help us build a winner with Dame. And if we do decide option C to move on from day and keep this pick, I do like the thought process of Brandon Miller playing off of Shaden Sharp and those two guys on the wings, providing the blueprint for a modern offense and system where you have positional size and length all over. Okay. Uh, number four for me, I am going to go amend Thompson to the Houston Rockets I think this makes an immense amount of sense for the Houston Rockets. Amen Thompson is a tremendous uh, creative force. He's a top 1% athlete in the NBA from day one. We're not just talking about some guy that can kind of jump a little bit. We're talking about a guy with an elite first step, elite body control, great quickness, great athleticism. Uh, He ticks every box athletically. And oh, by the way, came in at like 212 to the combine yesterday. He's they're putting on weight and they're getting stronger, which is going to be enormous for the kind of rim pressure that he puts on the like basket. I kind of think that his upside is like like Russell Westbrooky, but maybe not quite as physical as Russ. Uh, how Russ works in the modern NBA, I think, would be very interesting. Peak Russ. But I think there's a lot of that there with Amen Thompson in terms of his ability just to be a transition playmaker that pressures the basket all the time. Really high-level passer, makes high-level passing reads all the time. Cross-corner kicks, dump-offs, wraparounds, lobs, whatever you need. Really, really big fan of Amen Thompson. I think that Jalen Green and Amen Thompson would be uh, the highest upside backcourt in the NBA, let's say, long-term. Yep. Love that fit for you there for Houston. 
Okay, number five, you are up with the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, I can't wit any less, so I'm going to wit more. Uh, Can't wit more here to Detroit at number five. Look, it's a disappointing night for the Pistons to fall outside of that top four, but Whitmore has a really high upside of all the guys available. He fits super well next to Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. As you mentioned earlier, Sam, great transition partner for Ivey. Great versatile slasher to play alongside the high IQ passing of Cade Cunningham in late clock half-court situations. I like this fit. I think this is a, a really high upside play for an organization that still is in the process of building younger. I think Troy Weaver likes athletic dudes, and Whitmore is a certainly athletic dude. Uh, best of what's around. So I can't, can't hate taking best player available while also having a good fit for the team. Okay. I am up now at number six. Who is number six? The Orlando Magic. Okay. I am going to go with Taylor Hendricks. I think Hendricks ticks the most boxes in terms of what this Orlando Magic front office tends to look for in guys on top of actually adding to the skill sets that they need. So this is a team that really, really, really needs shooting more than anything, in my opinion. Uh, Taylor Hendricks can definitely knock down catch-and-shoot threes. He'd be a great spacing option for Paulo Bancaro, Franz Wagner. I think they could really use a terrific weak-side rim protector next to those two in order to potentially longer-term play smaller Paulo Bancaro with the five lineups that really allow them to get creative offensively on top of that. And this is kind of the most important part. There isn't really a guard available that can shoot unless you want to take case and Wallace at number six. And I'm just a little bit worried about the upside for Wallace uh, taking him at number six. Yeah. So I'm going to go. Taylor Hendricks here. I like that. I like that for you, Sam. Okay. You are up at number seven. Yeah. And and I'd mentioned earlier for the Indiana Pacers at seven, this is a good night and a good position for them because they are guaranteed to get one of Cam Whitmore, Taylor Hendricks, or Jarris Walker. You took the first two guys I mentioned. So Jarris Walker out of Houston coming to Indiana. Underrated, connective passer on the offensive end of the floor within systems, short rolls, can be a small ball five. I really like the pairing of him and Miles Turner together, where Walker can be more of the strength and brawn, and Turner more of the shot blocker from the weak side. Both good help defenders uh, for sure, and will help blanket some of the things that the, the Pacers have trouble with on the perimeter. I do buy Walker being a solid catch-and-shoot threat long-term, not necessarily a great guy in that regard. He's still got some questions he's got to prove in terms of his floor spacing ability. But I do think the Pacers need more defensive acumen, uh, another guy at that bigger wing position, and I like the fit of Walker and Turner here. I think this is a decent haul for Indiana. Okay, I dig it. I'm a pretty big fan. Okay. Number eight. I am up with the Washington Wizards. I'm going to go Asar Thompson from Overtime Elite. 
the I think he's an interesting fit almost regardless of the direction they decide to go whenever they eventually hire a new general manager. Uh, I don't think John Thompson the third is going to be running the show forever there. Uh, call me crazy. I think Asar Thompson is a good fit next to Bradley Beal because of his ability to take on tougher defensive assignments and because of his passing and playmaking ability. I think it is worth noting that Asar Thompson actually was frankly the better player in overtime elite this year than a man. It's just that a man long-term has a little bit more upside because of his twitch athletically and because of his ball handling ability in his passing and playmaking. But Asar, I think, is a little bit more polished, actually. He's a better finisher around the basket. He's closer to being able to shoot at some point. I think that between Beal and Kyle Kuzma, he makes a lot of sense. And then also having a floor spacing five in Kristaps Porzingis will get the most out of his athletic ability as a driver and cutter. So I think Asar Thompson makes a lot of sense for the Washington Wizards. Yep. Good pick, Sam. Good pick. Okay, you are up at number nine. Number nine, the Utah Jazz. Select Anthony Black from Arkansas. I am a huge fan of Anthony Black. This is a team and a franchise that needs that creator with the ball in their hands. It's the one thing they kind of lack right now. Great all-star floor spacer in Lowry Markinen and a guy who in the front court can create his own, but somebody needs to get him easier ones. Long-term, Anthony Black can be that guy. I love positional size and feel intersections. Anthony Black is certainly that. Those guys do not tend to fail in the NBA. He's got more athletic juice than he's shown. Arkansas's half-court offensive spacing was abysmal. I expect his scoring inside the lane to continue to get better as a result of that. Strong going to his right hand, really physical body, quick processor in so many different ways. Unbelievable perimeter defender at the point of attack. But he's got that intangible factor that has made me fall in love with him. The more I watch him on film, the more I understand about his background. I think there's something to this kid that's going to allow him to outperform whatever perceived limitations we have on. He doesn't shoot it well enough right now. Does he have a mid-range game? All of those things, push him aside, bet on the person. I think this is an unbelievable coup for the Utah Jazz to be able to get a long-term connective piece who can play your number one facilitator if you have to at the ninth overall pick. I think that that is a good call uh, at the end of the day. I do. Uh, number 10 now, the Dallas Mavericks. Mm-hmm. I think they're probably going to move this, to be completely honest. Uh, I think it makes the most sense. I will say I think the player that makes the most sense for them is probably Cason Wallace because he can take on tougher defensive assignments from their uh, perimeter players and Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. I think he can play both on and off ball, which I think is probably interesting when – playing bench units involving one of those two players. He can be a really good compliment to either one of those guys. I also do wonder if they just like reach and take like Derek Lively here. That's actually what I've mocked right now um, on the athletic. If I was them, I would just take Case and Wallace. I'm not quite convinced that they actually just end up doing that though. I was going to ask you if Lively really is that far of a reach or if the ends justify the means with how much this roster would benefit from just having a floor spacer and a guy who 
when Luca or Kyrie are isolating, you say, just go stand six feet from the rim. And if we need you, we'll throw it up to you. Like you can make it work. Yeah, I think that is interesting. I think Lively is like a great fit here. And this would be a really, this would be a really, really good spot for him. Uh, Luca and Kyrie would make his life so much easier on offense and he'd be really tremendous for them on defense. So yeah. I'm going to go Casey Wallace because I think it's much more likely Casey Wallace gets taken in the lottery than Derek Lively. But I think there's a real case for Lively at 10. Yeah. All right. 11 Orlando. Yep. So do you know how in the NFL quarterbacks always go out and they buy their offensive linemen some really sweet like cars or gadgets and gizmos and stuff? If I am Paolo Bancaro. I am crossing my fingers that someday I'm going to get to buy an Escalade for the 11th pick here, Grady Dick, because Grady Dick is going to make Paolo Bancaro's life so much easier operating in isolation moves at the elbows and the low post areas. The Orlando Magic need a specialty shooter. Jalen Suggs and Markel Fultz are unbelievable defenders and pieces to have on a roster. They can be winning players, but you need to maximize space when you have other stars who demand the basketball and those two guys on the perimeter. Grady Dick is that connective piece. There's enough depth and length here in Orlando to work with him on the defensive end of the floor. It's it's just a no-brainer pick to me. I agree. Uh, I think that this is like an uh, – to yeah. me, it would be hard to see Grady Dick falling below this pick given how much Orlando needs shooting. Uh, I have, was kind of wondering, like, is there a world where he's in the mix at six? I see. I don't think so. I would rather, I would rather move out of six and trade down and pick in like eight or nine because I do think that there's going to be an arms race between Washington and, and Utah at some point to try to get like a sore Anthony Black. If there's one guy that separates more than the other, I can see Utah trying to jump Washington. That is interesting. Utah, like if Utah loves Anthony Black more than a sore, or vice versa. Yeah. They try and jump, get to six. Orlando moves down. That that's at, that's the most interesting trade down, trade up, yep, kind of thing that I've heard so far. Yeah. Th- that actually makes a ton of sense to me, as you yeah. were saying that. Okay, uh, I, I like that a lot. Okay, number twelve. <laughs> uh oh. I, I think that I think Leonard Miller makes a lot of sense for. Oklahoma City, I've just done this before. And, like, this is what I've mocked right now. I'm going to go Leonard Miller. Fuck it. That's right. Um, I am going to do that. Like, I I think that he's a tough rebounder, which is exactly what you want next to Chet Holmgren long-term at the five. You want somebody who can grab and go on the break and can lead the break next to Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Josh Giddey, et cetera. You want somebody that can – make plays, make decisions, be an attacking-oriented player. I think he fits a lot of their character profile that they tend to really like at number 12. Uh, Leonard Miller needs to improve as a shooter, and I think that he has the touch to be able to do that because he's an elite-level finisher around the basket. I think that there's real upside in Miller in a way that it's hard to find at 12 in terms of on ball creativity at that size. Leonard Miller came in yesterday at like six, nine and a half yeah. without shoes, seven, two wingspan, like 
220, 218, something like that pounds. He's 19 years old. He can handle, he can grab and go on the break. He's a good passer. Like, I think that's a lottery pick. I do. I'm sorry, everybody. I think that's a lottery pick at the end of the day. I know he's not rated there by other people. I think this is a perfect spot. Okay. I I, I have heard your your argument for this for a couple of weeks now, and I get it. And I, he's a very thundery type of player. I think it's – I'm not sold that he's a lottery talent. I'm just not quite there. Um, yeah. But, but I, I get the fit, no doubt about it. Yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, I know I'm crazy. Go ahead. Go next. All right, thirteen Toronto. I've been sitting here while you've been giving your Leonard Miller to love fest and trying to decide between two guys. Um, and I'll just be straight up because is this where we're stopping here? The thirteen, fourteen. Uh, thirteen is your last one. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm debating between. Unless I decide at the end to go like slightly longer. Okay. Almost. Well. Uh, I'm torn between the upside of a GG Jackson who I, I just, I can't get past of of a a lottery guy and Kobe Bufkin who I have fallen in love with. And I think this is a Raptors team that would like a lot of the traits that he brings to it. So I'm going to go Kobe Bufkin here. Uh, I think they need backcourt help. I think it gives them a lot of long-term flexibility to build the roster in some different ways with adding more on ball pieces because Kobe can play off of it or trying to see what he has in year one and, and determine if he's the guy to build around in that backcourt long-term. Yeah. I like this one a lot. This might be where I have him in the mock as well. Um, no, I don't. I lied. It's not um, <laughs> really interesting. Re- really, really interesting player. I- I'm a big Kobe Bufkin yeah. fan. Shout out Andrew Schlecht coming up with the Bufkin boys. We're all Bufkin boys here we are. on this show. We love Andrew. Okay. Next, I am up at number 14. This is this is hard. I actually think this is like the pick that might be most likely to be traded right now outside of the Dallas pick because just the way that the board falls is really hard. I, I don't I don't know. Like you could take Derek Lively here, but like I don't love the Lively and Williamson fit long term. They have a lot of these bigger wings. They could take like a creative guard swing, I guess, like a Nick Smith or something like that. Uh they could take a Keontae George, I guess, but like I'm a little bit lower on those guys than Lively. Uh, They really need defensive ability. This is where the draft really kind of falls off, in my opinion, after we get past, like, Bufkin and Miller. Um, Those are the two guys, like, in this tier that I really like. Oh, man, this is gross. Um, Yeah, I'm going to take... Yeah, this sucks. The, the trade pass. Um, I'll I'll take yeah. Derek Lively. They just need yeah. defense. Yeah. I don't feel great about it. Yeah. Just double um, it and give it to the next person, right? Whatever you do with this yeah, pick. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I, I don't feel great about this. This is a hard pick. I think they, they. I think are really hoping. This isn't based on. This is me speculating. I think they would hope one of 
Case and Wallace, Grady Dick, Kobe Bufkin falls to them at 14. Yep, I agree. Do you have any other stray thoughts here before we uh, finish this mock? Well, I think as far as I'm concerned in the way that I've looked at this class, I'm not sure if you agree. I think there is a fairly hard top 11 right now where I don't see many of those guys from a talent perspective falling out of it. Maybe if Derek Lively is the right fit in Dallas, he's the one that jumps into that group and it moves more towards the top 12. But I do feel like Grady Dick at 11 and then all the guys that we mock above him, after that point, it can be a little bit of a toss-up. You and I both seem to like the guys individually that we got at 12 and 13 in Leonard Miller and Kobe Bufkin, but there's a, a ton of possibilities and ways that the draft could shake out once we get to that later part of the lottery. So it will be a very fascinating middle part of the first round to watch. I think that's right. I don't really know what's going to happen in the middle of that first round. Like I, I have, I have it mocked a certain way right now. And I, I don't feel great about the way I have it mocked. I think that there's like a group from th- there's like 11 guys that I feel like are very likely to be lottery picks. I think there's a group from 12 to 22 or so that are like pretty likely to be first round picks starting in my opinion with like Kobe Bufkin, Leonard Miller, Derek Lively. Um, and then like you get into like the sense Nick Smith, Jordan Hawkins, Keontae George range. Chris Murray certainly deserves to be mentioned in this range as well. And then after that, you really get into like the guys that I think are real question marks. Like, like does Bobby Clintman get called in the first round? Uh, does Julian Phillips get called in the first round? Does, you know, uh, Colby Jones, Jaime Jaquez, Rayon Repair. Like I have Gigi Jackson in that range. I I don't do like, I, I, I'm, I don't know if he's a first rounder for me to be honest. Okay. Um, but yeah, um, I'm intrigued to see that range. I think that's the fun range. And by the way, like Bilal Kulabali is like an interesting name in that range too, that like could very easily go there. Yeah. As I'm looking at this, like there's opportunity for those late risers who are young and really intriguing and fit that positional mold that the NBA tends to look for. Like Bobby Clintman is one of those names, Bilal Kulabali, maybe even Noah Clowney jumps up into like the 14 through 17 range. Like there's, there's some guys that could make that sneaky ascent because what we have are a glut of these like two guards who are giant question marks in a lot of ways, whether it's injury wise with Derek Whitehead athletically or injury wise with Nick Smith on the defensive end of the floor, sensible with defense. There are you know, Keontae George and just exactly what role he plays. There's a lot of question marks around those guys in that position group. We know positional size, more like lengthy multi-positional wings are the flavor of the month right now. I wouldn't be shocked to see a lot of movement between now and draft night on where we are picking some of these guys and, and how the mocks continue to take shape, take shape leading up to late June. I think that's right. Adam, tell the people where they can find all of your work as we get into pure draft season, baby. Oh, draft season, the best time of the year. Find me on Twitter at one underscore my Substack page, one.substack.com, which is having a 25% off sale 
for anyone who wants to become a, a gratefully appreciated uh, paid subscriber there. Or you can find all my YouTube scouting reports and mock drafts available on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Adam Spinella. Sam, this was super, 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 super fun. Thanks for having me. This has been great. Uh, go to The Athletic. I have a full scouting report on Victor Wembanyama up. Uh, we ran what will run in the 2023 NBA draft guide a few you know weeks early on Victor Wembanyama because we wanted a to build excitement for the draft guide and b to you know get it out there for people that are trying to learn more about Wembanyama tonight. Go to the Athletic, find the mock draft that I did. I have updated the 2022 or 2023. I'm sorry, NBA mock draft. I did not update the 2022 mock draft again. Uh, I did, can confirm I did not do that. Uh, I am indeed also going to write, as I sound like Greg from Succession, as I say this, <laughs> I am going to also write a how does Victor Wembenyama fit on the San Antonio Spurs thing for tomorrow? Uh, I've like written a good amount of it already, to be honest. So that's coming. I've seen like a few questions in the chat. Do you want to hit those like very quickly before we leave? I think the correct answer here is hell yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, a lot of fun combine stuff as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you guys want to ask questions, please, by all means in the comments, like go ahead. Um you know, Dylan Mitchell taking full advantage of the combine. Grape Ape says, I, guys, I don't care what Dylan Mitchell shot at the combine. I have like 75 of his games uh, on Synergy and, and like can tell you like how many jump shots he took. I think it's under 20, like over the course of a bunch of each one teach one games, Montverde games, uh, like Texas games. I, I think the number is like under 20. So the fact that he took 25 jump shots in a row, I don't care. <laughs> like, I need to see way more of him do it at actual speed at the end of the day. I'm sorry. I don't see him as a first rounder. I would hope he goes back to school. I, uh, yeah, yeah, man. It's just we can't keep falling for the shooting drills during the combine thing. We just can't keep falling for it. Yeah. Uh, any reason why Maxwell Lewis could potentially rise as the draft process goes on? Maybe. I mean, he came in big. He was like almost six, six with a seven foot wingspan. Yeah. He's very skinny. I think that the things that teams want to see from Max Lewis probably did not, will not be able to get answered in this kind of setting. Like it was more feel based. It was more, uh, defensive base at Pepperdine that were the issues. Maybe you could like put him on the board, uh, you know, like, you know, NBA teams do for quarterbacks and ask him like, okay, where do you go? What are your instincts? If you are in this position defensively, what are your instincts? If you do this defense, like you could maybe do some of that, but you know, possibly he's an athlete that certainly is enormous. It's not impossible. He could go like 20th or so, I think. Yeah, I think that's probably closer to the ceiling of, of where he would end up on draft night. Uh, I see the upside and the appeal for Lewis. I know we talked about him a lot throughout the course of the cycle with how he broke out early on. It was really exceeding expectations that either of us had for him. 
And then that final stretch of the season, uh, once the hype train got rolling and teams figured out how to take him away a little bit more to really pressure him on defense, force him to his left, be more aggressive with him on the perimeter, try to make him more of a passer and playmaker, he showed a lot of his flaws. So uh, like you said, I don't know if there's enough time between now and the draft to make up for some of those things. I get the upside and appeal. I just think he's more of a late first, early second guy. From Dirty Dancer, are you concerned about Anthony Black as a defensive specialist with a bad wingspan? Not me, because the defensive specialty that he runs is against smaller point guards, where even if he doesn't have a plus wingspan, he's still longer than they are. So it doesn't really sway me that much. Completely agree. Uh, Anthony Black is a monster defender. Uh, and he makes it work. Like he's physical, he's athletic, he's long, he's aggressive. Yeah, no, I'm not worried about the wingspan stuff with Anthony Black. And he's so damn good positionally, particularly off ball. Like his stunts are so perfect from one away. He's fighting through screens as well. He's really good at getting through contact. He bodies guys up. He loves to pressure in the full court, quick hands when guys are loose with their dribble uh, and, and they're, you know, crossing over in front of him. He loves to go poke that away. Like, I love Anthony Black's defense. A measurement is not going to change that for me. Speaking of measurements uh, from Ron Burgundy, who asked a question earlier, is there anything you do care about at the combine measurements, wingspan, et cetera? Uh, I care about getting measurements. I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't really care about the athletic testing because we have film on how athletic these guys actually play. So like, you know, I'll give an example. So like Brandon Pajemski is getting a lot of hype right now because he had a 39 inch vertical leap, right? He rarely leaves the ground when he actually plays. Like I, it's, it's, he might have that vertical leap, but it's, it's not like something he functionally uses on right. the basketball court. Yep. So I, I like we, we can talk about it. like I don't really care that he has that kind of jump. Like I, I care way more about the fact that he came in with an eight foot standing reach, which is going to make it almost impossible for him to defend anybody on the wing, and he is not quick enough to defend anybody at the point of attack. So people are saying like this is a great Brandon Pajemski combine. It could end up being that if he goes and balls out during the five on five, like that'd be amazing. But I actually think that like the things that matter when you actually take it in conjunction with how he looks on tape, it actually hasn't been a great combine for him. Yeah. And I think the same thing goes with Jaime Jaquez, who tested pretty well with his like vertical numbers and things like that. But how many times have you watched him play and and he's just pivoting guys to death and trying to use totally it's it's about your play style. Your play style doesn't magically change because you just measured a 36 inch standing vert. Like that's not what happens here. You're just doing this athletic testing to get some numbers and a baseline on guys, see what checks out, see what pops, but it does not overrule the film that we've seen from these guys for years and years on end. That is exactly right. That is exactly, exactly right. Uh, from Kim in could Darius McGee sneak into the second round is his size too much to overcome. I think I am the only person in the public draft sphere that thinks Darius McGee has a real shot to play in the NBA. Uh, His ability to shoot off the dribble and his range, it is truly elite. Like it is not, oh yeah, like this guy can knock down shots off the bounce. Like he's a good pull-up shooter, et cetera. 
Darius McGee last year shot 40% on 65 threes outside of 28 feet. He shot 37% on threes taken outside of 30 feet. Like he is not just a good shooter. He is a genuinely elite shooter. He's fast. He's incredibly small. I don't think he'll get picked by any stretch, but I think he can make a roster, uh, especially as a two-way guy. Like I would two-way Darius McGee for sure. All right, Sam. All right. You don't agree with that. You don't have him. Do you even have him as a top 100 guy? Uh, he's like 102 or something. I, I just, I'm not, I am not willing to make those bets on, on smaller guards. It's just the, the, the return's not there for me. I think the return is there if you're investing minimally in them. Sure. Like if you're getting them like as an undrafted free agent, like I'm, I'm here for it. If the guy ends up being an NBA player, it's great. And I think he has like real translatable NBA skills that could allow him to do that. Uh, from Michael Dury, is Imani Bates going to be an NBA player ever? I, I don't see it right now. To be honest, I have Darius McGee ahead of him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not there. Honest, like, I think um, yeah, I think that's where I'm at on it. I'm sorry, uh, I don't, I don't think he knows how to play within a team construct, and that's my immediate concern. Uh, I know he measured well. Like, I think he's gonna come in at like six ten in shoes. Uh, I just think he has no idea how to play with with teammates around him. And I don't think he's good enough on the ball to be like that kind of dominant scoring threat in the NBA. So not a guy I'm super interested in unless I'm getting him like as an undrafted two-way guy. Yeah, you used your one free pass earlier on the Pelicans pick at 14. I'm going to use mine here. Like I just – I don't know how to answer this question yet. Um, Yeah. I'm going to pass. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, from Great Ape, I think we started with one question from him. We can finish with one question. Uh, Do you think Trace Jackson Davis and Deron Holmes' measurements are in the range where they needed it to be in order to be best utilized as small ball fives in the league? That was about the smallest that I wanted to see each of them. Honestly, I think a Dembona probably fits into this as well, Uh, coming in at like a seven foot and a half wingspan, if I remember correctly, something like that. intriguing at the very least for Jackson Davis and Holmes, they are going to be like undersized centers. I I know Jackson Davis came in with a wingspan of seven one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you know off the top of your head where Duran came in? Yeah. yeah, uh, I've got it up right here. Seven foot wingspan. Okay. That's a little bit short, I think. So I'm not wildly enthused. Yeah. So Trace Jackson Davis's wing measurements, six eight two five without shoes. So it'll be like six nine, six nine and a half in shoes. Eight ten standing reach. You really want to hit that nine foot standing reach for an undersized center. Uh, seven one wingspan, and he doesn't shoot. Like again, I get that he made shots uh, yesterday. There is no evidence that he can shoot. On a in a competitive like NBA level basketball game, so it, it's going to be tougher for Trace, I think. But he's physical, he's long, he's athletic. Like there's there are some things there. Like I think he's bouncier than he gets credit for. He's bouncy, yeah. He's 
bouncy, bouncy. I coached against him when he was younger. He was really bouncy when he was younger. Um, I, I'm higher on Holmes than I am on Trace Jackson Davis. I think he's younger. I think there's more versatility yeah. defensively with the things that he can do. Um, but yeah, not great measurements from either guy. Not great measurements from either guy. Uh, I don't think I have Deron Holmes's standing reach. It was a seven foot wingspan, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I have him. Um, I don't have standing reach for Deron Holmes. Do you? No. Yeah. Uh, by the way, someone asked what Anthony Black came in at the combine, uh, six, five and three quarters with no shoes. So six, seven in shoes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's about all that I have got on my end. I think that's all of the questions that I have seen uh, that are pretty intriguing here for the end of it. Uh, Beaker Jones says that Jaime Hawkes deserved to go in the fuck damn first round. We'll go with that, Beaker. Uh, yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, I, I have Jaime as a first rounder. I did the draft guy deep dive and I'm pretty in. He's right there for me. He's right there for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm in. There's some guy in the comments that yells at me every time I don't have Jaime Hawkes in the first round. Uh, yes, I have Jaime Hawkes as a first rounder now. I've done the dive. I'm, I'm, I'm there. Okay, guys, I'm there. Uh, okay, Adam. Tell the people, you've told the people where they can find your work. We don't need to do that anymore. Go to the box in one. Go subscribe to Adam Substack. Uh, Go to The Athletic. Keep me employed over there. You're going to have a million things up on the website from me. Uh, it's great. I'm trying to think if there's anything else on my end. I don't believe that there is. I will have just a bunch of stuff. I'll probably podcast again tomorrow for what it's worth. Breaking down game one of Nuggets Lakers, game one of Celtics and Heat. So that will be there as well. Okay. Great post-lottery show. Until next time, shout out to San Antonio Spurs, and we will talk soon. Bye.